This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Today's scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I was said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be pleasing to you, God, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Friday the 31st. We sailed out of the downs, and at 11 at night I was wakened by a great noise. I soon found there was no danger, but the bare apprehension of it gave me a lively conviction what manner of men these ought to be who every moment are on the brink of eternity. Sunday the 23rd at night, I was awakened by the tossing of the ship and the roaring of the wind and plainly showed I was unfit for I was unwilling to die. Sunday, November 25th, at noon, our third storm began. At four, it was more violent than before. At seven, I went to the Germans. I had long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior, and in the midst of the psalm wherewith their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible streaming began amongst the English, but the Germans calmly sang on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? And he answered, I thank God, no. And I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? And he replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. When I was recently asked what day it was, I replied, it's March 617th. The world changed completely last March, and in many ways it seems as though we're still in March, hence March 617th. 
In the earliest days of the pandemic, or at least the pandemic's arrival and shutdown of much of America, I remember the feeling that I was experiencing. Fear, deep and soul-shattering fear. I'd seen enough pandemic fiction and I knew enough of history to carry with me this deep and innate, innate sense of panic when the word pandemic took center stage in our vocabulary. And there are those who would talk about the benefits of those early days, that there was a real sense of camaraderie that we hadn't experienced in some time, that we had this belief that we were all in it together and in many ways it seemed like we were. It seemed as though people were talking more, people were coming together as families more to play more games and watch more movies together. And when you looked online or in places of dialogue, there seemed to be this real sense that we were coming together and riding out this storm together. In many ways, it seemed in those early days like it was all going to be all right, well, except for the endless panic attacks. I don't know about you, but the thing I remember most in those early days, apart from the feeling of camaraderie, or rather the false feeling of camaraderie, because we remember what came next as we realized how divided we really can be. The feeling I remember most was panic. The feeling I remember most was sleepless nights, was getting up 15 times before I would sleep, to pee because my body was so anxious that my brain was telling me that clearly the best solution was not sleep but to go to the bathroom. When I looked out the window when it first began, I imagined waves of invisible wind carrying the virus moving over the manure-covered cornfields that our house looked over, and I imagined the fear of a force that I had no control over coming for those I loved. For those first few months of the pandemic, we lived off a mixture of Dollar General goods and food pantry supplies, of which there was an abundance because all the restaurants were giving away food that they couldn't use. And the groceries of a small store out in the middle of nowhere that no one, ever el no one else ever seemed to frequent. And all of it plainly showed that I was unfit, for I was unwilling to die. Now the passage that I read at the beginning of this sermon, with its outdated language, came from the journals of John Wesley. John Wesley being the founder of Methodism. This specific passage was written during John Wesley's journey by ship to the American colonies. The Germans he spoke of were a group of Moravians who he traveled with, who held to a faith that was of a different flavor than the Anglican faith that Wesley had been raised with. And they expressed to Wesley their own feelings in regards to the storm, and Wesley couldn't help but measure himself, himself up to them as they as he phrased it, were not afraid to die. I think for young men especially, there's this sort of foolhardiness when it comes to the topic of death. 
Somewhere between our biology and our upbringing and the cultural norms expected of us, we seem to inhabit this space as young male adults where we convince ourselves that we are unafraid of death. that we will give our lives for the right cause, that our lives are but things to be sacrificed for the greater good. And admittedly, I fell to this way of thinking when I was a younger man, or at least younger than I am now. I held on to this romanticized vision of the martyrs, of those who were willing to die for the faith rather than succumb to the temptations of the world. But then came the pandemic and the very real confrontation with my own mortality. And what I realized as time went on and I had to really grapple with was that I was afraid. I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of suffering. I was afraid of those I loved suffering and dying. I was afraid of something and I could not control that fear wrapped up inside of myself and I began to feel a sense of shame because how could I call myself a Christian if I was afraid of death? How could I consider myself a Christ follower if I experienced panic attacks at the mere thought of having to pass through the bonds of death in order to experience any of the joys of God's intimate presence I so commonly spoke about? Was I just another hypocrite speaking through the side of my mouth words I didn't actually believe? I don't believe so. In truth, this is a smelly business that we are all living and we are all learning about ourselves every day as we live our lives. And the thing we come to realize at some point is that fear is a natural response that we all feel to Fear is to be human. To be sorrowful over the loss of life is human. To contemplate our own mortality is to be alive. Today's passage, The Raising of Lazarus, is what I like to think of as an honest passage. It's honest and it's humanizing of Christ in that it shows us that even Christ, even the one who we and the author of John hold up as being God incarnate, feels sorrow and pain over death. <clears throat> there is no victory in death in John's gospel. Lazarus is not glorified because he has died. Lazarus is not celebrated because he has passed on. Rather, his death is a cause for mourning. It is, even, is a, it is an event that even Christ weeps over. It is something that even Jesus weeps over. Verse 35 has the honor of being the single shortest verse in Scripture, and it is one that even the most sarcastic of people will repeat to prove that they can memorize Scripture. Jesus wept. It is as brief as it is important because it reveals to us the response of the divine to the power of death. Jesus, God incarnate, weeps over the death of his friend. 
God mourns the loss of life. This is a far cry different from the understanding of God that shows God as the bringer of floods and destruction. This is a far cry different from the understanding that says that God uses death to bring life. This is a God who stares into the maw of the grave and acknowledges the pain. A God who mourns with the mourning. As the, pandemic, as the pandemic goes on and the death toll has continued to rise, I, like most everyone, have had to reevaluate my own theology. I've had to rethink things. I've had to face my own privilege that allowed me to see death through a sort of detached lens. I had, of course, had loved ones die in the past, but before my grandma passed last year, it was not anyone that I ever truly or deeply cared about or was truly or deeply intimate with. Death was always something that was removed, and it was always something that was distant. It was always something that happened out there. It wasn't a reality that shaped who I was. But then came new experiences, then came new studies, then came a new way of understanding myself and the world around me, then came an appreciation for Timor Mortis, the fear of death. The fear of death is a concept and a reality that speaks to the very real fact that we all hold within us this fear of the grave. But this is not a bad thing in and of itself. Rather, it is an affirmation. It is a celebration of the fact that we are alive and life is a good thing. Life is a good thing, and if life is such a good thing, then what it means is that we are no fools to fear losing it. We are not less for fearing or mourning its loss. Shame, though, would have us believe that we are less if we do not fear it. When we read John Wesley's sermon at the beginning of this passage, we find that John was holding himself up against the Moravians, who he said were not afraid to die, considering himself less because he was afraid. And so Wesley, rather than dwelling in the very real and human emotion that he was feeling, instead convinced himself that he was less for it. What is most important is what we do with fear. What is most important is how we allow fear to control us. Fear, like every other emotion, can be used for good and it can be used for evil. I've spoken on the nature here before of the powers that be and how it is these things play into our fear, how it is that they convince us that they can give us freedom from death. They promise us an escape from death. Follow me, they say, and I will hold off death for you. Follow me, and you can have life eternal. But these things are liars because no power is immortal. 
Every power that exists and calls us to sacrifice to it will itself one day die. Businesses will die, modern ideas and standards will die, the concepts that we hold will die, and even nations will die. And yet these are forces that call us to sacrifice everything in order to serve them rather than to serve our neighbor. These are forces that claim that if we give up everything for them, for them, then we might claim life eternal, then we might add our own bricks to the tower that will reach into heaven and claim godhood for ourselves. But this, this is just a lie. This is nothing more than a false hope, and it is God alone, it is goodness alone, it is love alone that we can lay our hopes in. For in the end, it is love alone that rings on. In the end, it is love alone that rings true. In the end, it is love that is that tune that holds the universe in check. It is that siren's call that holds all things together, and it is that alone which can give us life. We are here today because of love. We celebrate all saints together today because of love. We are lighting candles and taking communion together because of love, because we have loved and we have lost and we stand in fellowship together with all the saints. We join together with those who have gone before us and those whose loves, whose love echoes still. We are here because of those we remember. We are who we are because of those we have loved and those who have loved us. I am me because of the people who came and loved before me, and you are you because of the same reason, because people have loved and have formed you. We are here because of the witness of the saints, because of the love of thousands that have joined together and formed you, that has formed me, that has formed each of us. And I don't know, even in the face of the reality of death, that gives me hope. That one day when my life is gone, that I too will join the communion of saints and I too will stand as one who has made others who they are. That I have contributed to the great tapestry or web of creation that I have joined in the great book of life. that one day I, like all of us, will be remembered in photo and memory, that I too will be mourned, that I too will be shared, that I too will hopefully have a candle lit for me, that I too will stand before the throne of God crying, How long, O Lord? And whatever that looks like, wherever I whatever I go through to get there, whatever fear I may feel before I arrive in that moment, I know that it is love that will remain. 
It is love that will be shared. And it is only with love that one can see what is invisible to the eye. Amen.